you will please turn in your copies of the scriptures to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I believe it can be found on page 944 in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. And let me just encourage you to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you to to really dive in and see what we're talking about here. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4 in Romans chapter 8. Last week, we had a single sermon on a single verse, verse 1 of chapter 8. And this morning, we'll get into the next three verses, Romans 8. Two through four. This is God's holy, inerrant word to us this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for... Holy Spirit, that takes the truths of your gospel and of your word and makes them known to us. And so, Lord, make them known to us, we pray this morning. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things here in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wanted to just try to escape from everything? Have you ever thought, maybe if I just move away to a desert island, I can get away from all my problems and all my worries? Have you ever been so disgusted with yourself and with your own sin that you thought, if I could just get away, if I could just get away and be alone by myself, get away from everything and everyone, maybe I could stop sinning, and maybe the guilt of sin would just go away. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that way before? There was actually a guy who tried that once. His name was Jerome, who lived in the 4th century. He was an early church father who went alone to live in the desert as a hermit, so that he could live a holy life and try to escape sin. It did not work. <laughs> he came back and he wrote and he confessed that even though he was alone, he was driven mad and he was driven by his dreams of sin and debauchery. He even beat his chest with a rock trying to drive out sin from his life and from his heart and from his mind, but it did not work. His story gives us a a valuable lesson that that in our flesh, by our sinful nature, by ourselves, we, we cannot earn the freedom that we long to have from the power of sin and its guilt. And since we cannot do this, since we cannot earn freedom from sin by ourselves, then it must be done for us. 
It must be something outside us that comes and rescues us. And so this passage before us this morning further introduces to us some words and some concepts to help us understand and to go deeper and deeper into the gospel of grace. I'll be honest with you this morning. This was a hard passage to prepare to preach. These are this is some very detailed, argumentative words and style that the Apostle Paul uses here to explain the gospel, to explain the liberation that believers now have in Christ. And so it's going to be it's going to be very important to follow along in your scriptures because we preach expositionally here. That means verse by verse. We try to let the Word of God dictate what we say and what we talk about. And so. I pray that I can do that this morning. And so last week we looked at this banner verse, this banner statement that verse 1 was, that there is now no condemnation. There is no guilty verdict. There is no damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And is this not the best news in the world? Is that not the greatest thing that could be said of us? But the the good news keeps getting better here as we will work our way through Romans chapter 8. Because it's true, not only is there there now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is in fact liberation from the power of sin and death. That's what Paul is saying in these verses. Believers in Christ no longer have to fear the power of sin of sin and its judgment on our lives because they have been set free by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives. So last week we learned the great truth that there's no longer condemnation, but this week we're going to learn it is because we have been set free. But free from what? Free from what and how have we been Set free. These are the questions we'll consider as we're going to observe three things in these, this passage. Three things. Our freedom in Christ, our justification in Christ, and our sanctification in Christ. We are going to theology school this morning, ladies and gentlemen, so get ready. <laughs> First, our freedom in Christ. Look there in verse 2. Again, let me read it. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now free, Paul declares. In Christ Jesus, those who are Christians. We last week talked about how our designation is that we are in Christ. Those who are in Christ now have a a freedom that is incorruptible. It is a freedom that is undefiled. It is a freedom that we could never lose. It will never fade away. In this country, we like to talk about our freedoms. We talk about it a lot. Some of you may have a t-shirt with airbrushed freedom on it or something like that. We love freedom and we love talk about it. But The freedom that Paul is talking about here is a freedom that goes far beyond anything that we just enjoy in this country. It's a freedom that goes far beyond any political or military entity could give us. It's a freedom from the worst enemy of all, the power 
of sin and death. And why is this freedom so important? Why is it so necessary? And this is where Paul gets into his argument here and explains that we need this freedom because the power of sin and death functions much like a law. That's what he says there in verse 2. It's a law of sin and death. Now, in this passage, Paul uses the word law, namos in Greek, several different times. And in each time, we need to interpret it in context because it has some varying meaning here. But here in verse 2, when Paul speaks about the law, he is referring to the law here in the sense it's a power. It's a principle. It's a, it's a force that is at work, and it, and it cannot be stopped. The way he uses the word law here is much like we would describe the, the law of gravity or any of the other law of physics. Think about the law of gravity. It's, a, it's an invisible force with undeniable power in the way that it affects everything on planet Earth. There's nothing we can do to change gravity or make it go away. If I were to throw a ball up in the air, and it, it would fall down. There's nothing we could do to stop it. Even the magicians have some trick, and I don't know how they do that, but that's, that's another thing. Gravity is at work no matter what. If I try to go dunk a basketball, it's not going to happen this mortal form will fall to the earth very quickly. Gravity is a law that is at work that we can't do anything about it. And since the fall of mankind, since Genesis 3, our world, our human nature is marked by sin and death and corruption. And we are all fallen. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and the creation moans because of this world is falling, and there's nothing we can do about it. And in this sense, sin and death is a law that cannot be stopped, it cannot be undone by our will, or our good works, or our righteousness, or anything that we could try to cause to make that happen, much like we couldn't undo gravity. And since this is true, there is bondage and slavery to sin. But, what are those great buts in the Bible? But, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And even more, we have been liberated from the tyranny of sin. We have been set free. But how could this happen? How can the law of sin and death be overcome if there's nothing that we can do about it? Just like we can't undo gravity, we can't undo the power of sin. So what hope is there? And that is where a more powerful law enters the picture. A law that is outside of ourselves. A more powerful force that is for all who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life, Paul says. This is where the law of the spirit of life comes in and liberates us from the power of sin and death. It is a more powerful law. But this law of the spirit of life, it is a very descriptive phrase that Paul is using to simply refer to the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the law of the spirit of life that has freed us from sin and death. And it is the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of life, 
who serves as an immovable force that works in the life of a believer and confirms that the law of sin and death no longer has authority over those who are in Christ Jesus. It is as if we're all NASA astronauts and we can overcome gravity and float in space. Best I can do in Huntsville right there with that one. There is one other truth here that goes along with this teaching. That not only are those who are in Christ Jesus been delivered from sin's power, but we've been delivered from sin's guilt. And that is perhaps the one thing that those who have been believers for a long time really struggle with. Guilt. And this guilt it can be overwhelming. It, it, it makes us question our faith. Can I really be assured? I mean, could God really love me because I, I keep doing this sin? Is it possible for my, my, my guilt to be overcome even though I committed that awful sin in the past? And this is where God makes a wonderful promise in the gospel. In Jeremiah, he says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ Jesus, te absolvo. You have been absolved of all of your guilt in Christ Jesus. This is good news. So this morning, if you're here and you're weighed down by guilt and shame, then hear these sweet words of the gospel. You have been set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how? How has the law freed us from sin and death? Paul is going to even go further here in verses 3 and 4 and instruct us. It is by our justification and our ongoing sanctification. Look there in verse 3. For God has done. We could just stop there, right? God has done it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Lots of words there. Lots of things we need to work our way through. But simply speaking, this verse speaks of our justification our justification what is justification it's one of those big bible words that we must know and understand it's the act of god's free grace it's what god has done because of the righteousness of christ he has forgiven us and christ's righteousness has been imputed to us that is what justification is we are justified we can be declared righteous in god's sight not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And the only way to be declared righteous is because of the work of Christ. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. There's no way that it would be possible for you to keep the law and be righteous before God. You can't do it. And so here we're introduced to the word law again. 
But Paul seems to be using it in a very different way than the law as being a force or a rule or a principle. Here, Paul seems to be referring to what the scholars call the Mosaic Law, or we might say simply the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that summarize the whole law, the whole will of God. And this law has proved incapable of saving anyone from sin and death. Our adults have been learning in their Sunday school classes, have been been taught through the Ten Commandments this year. And you've learned about the three uses of the law, according to Calvin. And one of these uses is the law serves as a mirror. And one of the ways the law serves as a mirror is that it reveals the sin in our hearts and in our lives, and it shows us that we cannot measure up to the demand for perfect righteousness that the law requires. And for those who even thought they could attempt to do it, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount and was just his way of just going, you know, you thought you were doing this, but no, you're not. Our own hearts and minds condemn us and show us that even then we are breaking the law. And so what does the law of God often do in our lives? It condemns us. And it shows us that we fall short. It shows us that in our flesh, that is in our sinful nature, we cannot obey the law of God and earn righteousness. And so if we can't save ourselves, and the law cannot save us, then what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? And here is where the gospel sweetly and powerfully comes in again that God has done it. God has done what we couldn't do and God has done what the law could not do. And verse 3, look at verse 3, provides us yet again with a very wonderful and beautiful and deep explanation of what God has done for us in the gospel. For God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh, that is our sinful nature, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Simply put, Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who was born of a woman who is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, and yet he was without sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he, he knew no sin, and yet he took on our sin. And when he did that, when he died on the cross for our sin, he put an end to the power of sin and death on the cross, and he did it as a man who came in the flesh. And so if there's one important truth, that you need to grasp this morning is that it is not something that you do to earn your salvation from your sin. It is what God has done by sending his own son in the flesh for you. What amazing grace. What amazing love that we sing about. And at this point, 
Some of you may rejoice and are glad in the glory and grace of your justification because the power of sin and death has been overcome. But then some of you are going, I just don't feel it. It doesn't feel real to me that Jesus has done this. I'm still wrestling. I'm still guilty. I'm still overcome by sin and guilt. And this is where the Apostle Paul, he identifies with you. Listen to what he said in the chapter before where he is speaking very openly and honestly about this struggle. Maybe you felt like this. He says, so I find it to be a law. And he's talking about the law as a force here. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but in my members another law is waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, he cries out. So Paul is wrestling here. What do I do? How do we... How do we reconcile this how can we be saved do you ever feel this way do you ever feel like sin has the upper hand in your life and you cannot claim victory over it yes we have been delivered from the power of sin and death but still does still remain in us but though it remains brothers and sisters you need to know this this morning It has no authority over you. It does not have the power over you if you're in Christ because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. And it is He, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who is at work in us and helps us to live and to please God and to die to our sin and to live for righteousness. And this leads to the third thing. This is called sanctification. Look in verse 4. He says that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so in verse four here, we read clearly that the law has a a righteous requirement that we've talked about. And it is perfect obedience, but no one is perfect for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise God. That in Christ Jesus here, Paul says, the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us because of what Christ has done. And so God not only fulfills the law's demands in Christ for the believer, but the Holy Spirit now lives in us and enables us. It enables us. It gives us a power to obey the law of God. And so this is sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to die to sin more and more every day and to live to righteousness more and more every day. And so Paul lays out here in verse 4, there are basically two ways to live. There are two ways to walk. There is the flesh and the spirit. Look at those two things. You can walk by the flesh. When Paul uses this word flesh, he's not talking about our our skin, this stuff covering our bodies. This is the biblical way to describe our sinful nature. This is the biblical way to describe the one who follows the world and its desires 
and the one who is in outright rebellion against God and his ways. To walk in the flesh is to live contrary to the revealed will of God. It's to live in a purely humanistic way. You are living for your own glory and not for God. That is to walk in the flesh. But those in Christ have another way to live. A better way. A way of freedom. We walk by the Spirit. Notice that the word Spirit in verse 4 is probably capitalized in your Bibles. And this is to show that Paul is not talking about our souls or our spiritual nature. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are enabled to live for God and His rule in our lives. His values, His His control over us is what guides us and leads us. The way that we experience true freedom in Christ is in a daily and practical way is that we walk by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. That is to live to please God by following the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that enables you to please God. What does that mean? What does that look like practically and simply? It means this. That by all means necessary, and by all the appointed means of God's grace, which we call the means of grace, that the Word of God in your life, that prayer, and that worship, and that fellowship, all these things we, we love, we use, we follow, so that the Holy Spirit will use them to magnify the grace of God in our lives, and to help us to die to sin, to turn from it, and to walk. In the ways of God. These are the things the Holy Spirit takes and uses in our lives and to help us live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to look in more depth and very specifically at what it means to walk in the flesh versus walking in the Spirit. But in closing, I want you to think about this wonderful truth this morning. The gospel offers you freedom from sin. From sin and death, for God has done what the law and what we, what no one or nothing could do. He sent His one and only Son into the world to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. And this is yet one more wonderful way that we have assurance of God's love for us because it is what Jesus has done. God has done it. If you're holding on to your own righteousness, if you're holding on to your own guilt, let it go because it is what God has done for you. And so may God help us to walk in the Spirit which is the freedom that we have in Christ and not in the flesh. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these things are hard to understand at some points, hard to to believe at some points, hard to apply at some points, for they must be too good to be true. And yet, Lord, that is what makes them all the more wonderful. That's what makes your gospel all the more powerful. 
And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to believe and that you would help us to follow you and that your Holy Spirit would help us to see the gospel more clearly that Jesus has done it all for us. So, Lord, help us to sing now in response to what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.